The Holocaust. What really happened with Von Klingenberg? Right here, right now on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. Okay, we're back on VT Radio with the effervescent Von Klingenberg. He's all the way somewhere hiding in some lake place in Minnesota, I think. There's a, isn't that the land of the lakes, I think it is? Is that right, yep. Von? Land of 10,000 lakes, the state of Minnesota. 10,000 lakes. Are you, are you hovering some around some lake or somewhere, or what are you doing? Are you in a boat or something? Uh, no, well, I'm at my home, but there's a lake uh, less than a half mile from my house, so uh, true to Minnesota. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Von, we, we want to talk to you to you today about the Holocaust because uh, you're obviously an expert on the issue. You've you've really done some extensive studies and research on this issue for many, many years. Uh, obviously, you have a master's degree on the, uh, uh, in, in education. Yes. And so I want to ask you, you have a unique perspective on the Holocaust. Can you explain to the VT viewers and listeners out there what that unique uh, perspective actually is? Oh, certainly. Uh, and hopefully we'll get time for me to fill out my argument. But in a nutshell, uh, what I believe is that the Nazis did not want the Holocaust. And we can go into reasons for that. Who wanted the Holocaust were big Zionist Jews. Uh, the reason I call them big Zionist Jews is because they were the heads of various uh, large Jewish uh, organizations and committees. And the reason they wanted the Holocaust is because Many Jews in Europe in particular did not want to, they, well, they, in a word, they simply weren't Zionists. They didn't want to transfer from the comforts of Europe to go to the barren wasteland, so to speak, of Palestine and found a Jewish state. So what the big Zionist Jews did is they orchestrated the Holocaust by not supplying, well, actually by actively hindering any support to Jews in Europe who would not be interested in going to Palestine. And in so doing, uh, at the end of the war, when uh, these Jews had suffered for years within the concentration camps, many of them obviously at that point were, were diehard, newly, newly uh, believing Zionist Jews, and they were willing to, to uh, emigrate to Palestine and be foot soldiers for the big Zionist Jews in a Jewish uh, Israeli state. So in a nutshell, that's that's my thesis. And of course, we can get into more details as our conversation continues. Yeah. You know, we could talk more about that because that's a really intense conversation. Number one, why would a European citizen of Jewish uh, religion want to go to Palestine? For example, Palestine was a desert, uh, has poor economy, there was no reason to go there as far as my readings and research go. And for disclosure's sake, my, my mother is from Palestine, by the way. Uh, she's born in Haifa, Palestine. And so I, I kind of know a lot about this issue myself personally. But the, the issue is they wanted to go to the land of opportunity just like my mother did, which was the United States of America. Is, is that right, Vaughn? Do you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. Very often, many of the Jews who wanted to emigrate wanted to emigrate to the United States and not Palestine. And uh, what the big Zionist Jews did to the little Jews, as I call them, the hitherto non-Zionist Jews, is they constructed obstacles uh, so that uh, Jews would be steered to Palestine and not the United States. In fact, uh, there was a, uh, a Jewish um, leader named uh, Cook who wanted 
Jews to be to immigrate anywhere outside of Germany and not necessarily to Palestine. And he was severely harassed by the Jewish Zionist community. They, in fact, he tried to get him uh, conscripted into the army uh, and they got the IRS to investigate his uh, organization. And the whole point of that was to only give Jews the option of going to Palestine. Mr. Cook uh, wanted uh, them to be able to go to the United States or other countries, but the Zionist Jews did not want that, and they harassed him uh, to the degree that they were able to silence him and not allow Jews to go anywhere else but Palestine. Yeah. You know, Palestine at that time, uh, from World War One all the way to uh, you know World War Two. It really was economically not well. It was a desert. There was agricultural, you know, there was agrarian. It wasn't the center of finance or anything like that. It was really not like it was a horrible place to go, really. Nobody really wanted to go there. Nobody. Nobody in their right mind would go there. Okay. It was exactly. not a great place to go. The United States at that time was up and coming. Uh, it was happening. The Industrial Revolution was happening. You know, things were moving. Uh, and so everybody, not just European Jews wanted to go there, but the whole world wanted to go there. It was the, the land of opportunity. I remember my mom saying, you know, it was the land of gold. She thought it was paved with gold. That's how, how she envisioned it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah. And now, of course, European Jews did not want to go, did not want to go to Palestine. Now, do you, you know about this transfer agreement that Hitler actually deployed, uh, the Havara agreement? Oh, where he actually and Explain that to our viewers. Yeah, basically, early in the uh, uh, Nazi uh, uh, reign in Germany, uh, they wanted to get Jews removed from the country. They didn't want to kill them. They wanted them to just emigrate. And they set up the Havara Agreement. I believe it was in the early 30s. And basically what that did is uh, it would allow Jews to emigrate to Palestine. Uh, Basically, they would sell their property, and uh, the German government would would transfer their assets to Palestine. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is that Nazi Germany was the most pro-Zionist government in Europe uh, for the Jews. You know, I mean, there was the... Uh, the, uh, what's it called, the uh, Evian Conference, which I believe was 1937 or 36. It was called by uh, President Roosevelt to deal with the the, uh, the Jewish question, so to, so to speak, what to do with the Jewish community in Europe. Uh, significantly, Nazi Germany was one of the only countries that was not invited. And Roosevelt sent as his representative, not someone from the State Department, but a personal banking friend of his, and I believe there are approximately 30 countries that uh, collected at um, Evian in, in France for this conference. And the upshot of the conference is that none of the countries would take in any Jews, with the possible exception of the Dominican Republic. And uh, as a result, you know, they basically, you know, left Jews to their fate in Nazi Germany. So it's important to realize that Nazi Germany did what they could to try to, in effect, save Jewish lives and conveniently transfer them to Palestine. And again, I want to emphasize that Nazi Germany was the most pro-Zionist nation in Europe 
in the 1930s. So that's something that, that just can't be emphasized enough. While all the other countries that Roosevelt called to take in Jews unilaterally and almost across the board refused to take in any Jews or do anything to alleviate their suffering. Now, the facts that you present do cause a lot of um, constipation uh, with some Zionists in America. They, they really have a trouble dealing with what you're saying. They're, it doesn't meet their narrative. Can, can you explain why do we have to deal with this nonsense of having a unhonest conversation about the Holocaust? Why, why do we have to do this? Oh, good. I'm glad you asked that question. First of all, a couple of uh, anecdotes. Uh, I wrote an article called The Holocaust, Big Zionist Jews versus Little Jews. Uh, it appeared in the uh, Barnes Review, and unfortunately, I oh, in the September-October 2021 edition of the Barnes Review. So I basically, you know, gave a full flesh account of uh, the fact that big Zionist Jews wanted the Holocaust. Interestingly enough, I sent this to Norman Finkelstein, the author of uh, the Holocaust industry, thinking that he'd be sympathetic to my position uh, and that he would be, you know, rational and, and reasonable. But he responded to me by, by basically just slandering me and not addressing any of my arguments whatsoever, but he just unilaterally just, you know, I won't mention the expletives, but he just considered me, you know, anathema. Now, you know, when it comes to um, why Jews can't face up to this fact, you know, there's a lot of things you have to realize about the Jewish community. For one thing, the Jewish religion is an ideology based on victimization. You know, they, you know their, their holidays are uh, celebrations of when they overcame victimization and were able to brutalize the people who intended to victimize them. I challenge anyone in your listening audience to name a single Jewish holiday that celebrates the universal brotherhood of man. You're not going to find one. It's a very ethnocentric religion. And when you have a religion that has an ideology of victimization along with a master race ideology as well, that's a very lethal combination, as the Palestinians in Palestine are no doubt painfully aware. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, you, you have, I mean, there's a whole slew of things you have to consider here. And uh, one other thing that just comes to mind that I want to emphasize as well. Uh, at the Cairo conference, I believe that was 1943, the Allies basically came up with the condition of, of uh, um, unconditional surrender. They would not allow the Germans a conditional surrender, you know, so, so that they could, for example, um, you know, uh, not have the Nazi hierarchy executed, you know, maybe in prison, but not executed. But in any event, the point was there was absolutely no incentive for the Nazis to come to a, a peace agreement with the Allies because it was the Allies would only accept unconditional surrender. And, you know, if you can imagine, if the, the Germans were willing to surrender after Stalingrad, but that didn't happen because of that, that unconditional surrender uh, stipulation. And you just wonder how many Jewish and Gentile lives could have been 
could have survived the camps if the war was brought to an end in 1943, but that just wasn't going to happen because of that uh, Allied dictate. So, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of different tangents we can go on in in this conversation, which are all related to the Holocaust. But I'll uh, I'll let you decide where you want to take the conversation after that. Well, there's a lot of places to go. You know, I, I did try to contact ADL and ADL supporters to ask them to come on and discuss Excellent. the Holocaust issue. They won't They won't come on and discuss it. We cannot have an honest conversation with these people. Yeah. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to discuss it. They want to keep it as it is with the American. Now, our public, our, our readership here is about 50% USA. Now, in the USA, you're saying anything about the Holocaust that is not 6 million people died, everybody's a victim, blah, 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 blah. You can't discuss it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and if I could mention a few things about that, another little anecdote. Uh, I've been a member of the Jewish Voice for Peace, or at least getting uh, the Jewish Voice for Peace in Palestine. And I attended their session yesterday where they were discussing the uh, invasion of Janine in Palestine and the brutality of the, uh, the Israeli defense forces, so to speak. And... You know, I have the opportunity to chat, and I put up on the chat uh, my basic thesis that the uh, Holocaust is fundamental to understanding the issues. And I, I in, in, in a paragraph or two, I just chatted, you know, that Zionist Jews wanted the Holocaust and not the Nazis. Instead of responding to my uh, thesis and combating any of my arguments, I was deleted from the conversation without a word. So I'm beginning to, to I'm beginning to have some concerns that the Jewish Voice for Peace is possibly uh, a front Zionist organization to make it appear to the Gentile public, in particular, that Jews actually uh, uh, want peace in Palestine because they there was absolutely no reason for them to delete me from the. Uh, the session and uh, the fact that they would not, you know, challenge any of my uh, arguments and just deleted me goes to your point that you just can't talk about the Holocaust. And, and the thing is, too, what annoys me, we're doing the Jewish community a favor. We're doing them a favor by giving them the facts about the Holocaust, which they may not want to you know, face, you know, that there's, I think there's profound cognitive dissonance in the Jewish community. But we're, you know, us Holocaust truthers are doing the Jews a favor. We're, we're helping them understand what really happened during the Holocaust, and they just don't want to hear it, you know. Right. And it's just, it's sad. You know, they should look at us, you know, more kindly and engage us. But uh, they're so indoctrinated into their victimization uh, that uh, that's that's just not you know you know it's stop think Orwellian stop think within the Jewish community, and right. uh, it, it, it's very disappointing. Very disappointing. You, you know uh, this whole issue is just really terrible in the United States. It's just absolutely awful. You go around the world, you can have the discussion, but in the United States, it's absolutely it's 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 poisoned. You know it, it, they've been so brainwashed into believing what the the Western narrative is. They don't, can't have that honest conversation. You know VT is uncensored. Uh, Vaughn, we're not censoring you, okay? Sure. We're going to put you on, and whether we agree with you or not, it doesn't mean you make a difference. What the point is is that we have an honest conversation about it and let the readers and the listeners decide what that means to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, one of the points I made in that 
chat that was shut down by the Jewish Voice of Peace is that um, at the end of the war, when the camps were so-called liberated, Eisenhower had forensic pathologists go to the different camps and, and do autopsies on literally hundreds of deceased prison camp, uh, you know, deceased. And significantly, there was literally not, there's not a single instance of one of those hundreds of autopsies that demonstrated that any of the Jews or Gentiles, for that matter, in the camps died from Zyklon B poisoning, which is a variant of cyanide. So there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Jews were gassed in the concentration camps. And, you know, you tell that to someone who's Jewish, and like I said, you're just going to, they're just going to, they they're not even going to have that conversation. Because they, I don't know if they know they would lose the conversation or what. But another frustrating thing is Jews, with regard to the Holocaust, they often say, oh, you have to understand history. When Jews systematically, in particular, don't want to know history if it contradicts their uh, orthodox framework for the Holocaust. You know, so it's just, I mean, this, you know, this is wrong on so many levels that, uh, you know, I really do appreciate veterans today taking the time to discuss topics like this. And unfortunately, I know we only have maybe an hour or so, but uh, we really should have three hours to discuss this topic because there's so many ways uh, to, to take this conversation. But in any event, yeah, I just wanted to, to underscore that, that of all the hundreds of autopsies done at Auschwitz and other camps, uh, in particular in the Allied Zone, uh, there was no Jews whatsoever, zero, autopsied and found to have died by being gassed to death. So uh, in any event, now, I'll, I'll let you go there. Now, obviously, in the concentration camps, you know, people did die. There's no, no question about that. You agree with that. Is that correct? Yeah, and the reason they died, a couple of reasons. One, during the last year and a half of the war, there was a famine in Germany. And obviously, the last people to get food supplies would be people in concentration camps. The other thing is, and the reason for the Zyklon B gas or, or pellets at the camps was not to kill Jews. It was to kill the typhus lice that were spreading typhus and causing horrendous deaths among the concentration camp population. So the fact of the matter is, by using Zyklon B as a disinfectant or actually as an insecticide, the Nazis were trying to combat typhus and, in, in essence, trying to save uh, prison camp Jewish lives and Gentile lives. So, but that's been completely misconstrued, you know, and uh, that's another reason why uh, Jews need to listen to people like us, to Holocaust truthers, who can give a more accurate and honest account of what happened during the Holocaust. Now, in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany, it wasn't just for Jews only. It was for political dissidents as well, right? I mean, correct. It wasn't yes, just you are correct. Jews only. It was a lot of people. There was a, a lot of different kind of people there. Is that right? Yeah, the Speaking reason I that. emphasize the Jews is because basically Jews have appropriated the Holocaust for themselves, you know, you know, when you hear about the Holocaust, you always associate that with the Jewish community. So they've appropriated that term for themselves. I would be surprised if you talk to many Americans whether they realize that 
you know, perhaps half the concentration camp people were non-Jews. But uh, yes, you know, if you talk to, uh, you know, Joe, Joe on the street, uh, and you just mentioned the Holocaust, he would just think it was just uh, a case of Jewish victimization and that Gentiles also did not suffer. So that's, that's another thing that, that uh, has to be uh, highlighted. So I'm glad you brought up that point. Yeah, thank you. And so um, with the uh, the people that died, the amount of people that died in the concentration camps, before I discuss that, they were sent there mostly to work for free. Basically, they were workers. Weren't they working for the, the war effort and fixing things and building things and things like that? Yeah, no, you Explain make a that. good point there. Yes, in fact, you know, the uh, the sign above the Auschwitz camp, Arbeit macht frei, you know, work will set you free. Uh, you know, the... Uh, I mean, Jewish Holocaust scholars in particular see that as a euphemism uh, to mislead the concentration camp internees. But the fact of the matter is there were a handful of of concentration camp people, even at Auschwitz, who were released. And not only that, how do we know that that statement wasn't true? If the war was brought to an end, how do we know that the workers would have been freed? You know, we don't. Instead, you know, we're, you know, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. That was a euphemism, you know, when it could have been simply the truth. And going back to your point, yes, uh, you know, the germ, you know, the Germans during the war uh, had a shortage of manpower and they needed the, uh, the prison camp internees to work on the German war economy and manufacture rubber and ammunition and, and optics for the Air Force and so on. So there was an incentive for them not, well, there was an incentive for them to keep the the internees as healthy as possible so that they could help with the German war effort. So you make another good point there, and I appreciate that. I have a dumb question. If I'm going to kill my fellow citizen down the road and put them in a prison camp, I think I would send them there and then kill them. Just like that. Like, I wouldn't wait, like, three years. You know what I mean? Well, of course. And the other interesting well, thing, It's obvious is, that they were using for workers, not for just... You know, if I wanted to get rid of them, just kill them. You know? No, Somehow, no, that's right? a very good point. And it's interesting to note... Uh, actually, let me... If I can quote something here, if you have a moment. From the, uh, from the United States Holocaust Museum, it says here... For Western allies, prisoners, well, for Western allied prisoners, life inside the concentration camps was tough but generally fair, as Germany, with some exceptions, usually followed the Geneva Convention rules for the ethical treatment of POWs. This is actually something from the United States Holocaust Museum on their webpage. And, um. Are we yeah, allowed to say so that and, online? And the other, I mean, the other thing to power, you know. Yeah, uh, the concentration camp internees were paid in prison gelb. They were paid for their work with with uh, uh, money that could only be used within the camps. But what they could purchase with those camp with that money was stamps to mail letters to people to their family and friends outside of the camps. And Liad Vashem, the Jewish Holocaust Museum, has literally thousands and thousands of those letters. So the question is, if the Nazis were going to kill all the Jews in the camps or wanted to, why would they allow them to mail letters from the camps to their family, friends, and loved ones? 
it doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't make any sense. You know, right. some things just don't make sense because the narrative, uh, what we've heard in the United States, Western, you know, part of the media is not making sense to the actual reality on the ground. That's what we're questioning. That's all we're saying right now. We're just questioning it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so let me ask you another question about the 6 million number. I actually did my cursory research on the census of Jewish citizens in Europe in and around Germany. I'm talking about Poland, Czechoslovakia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Hungary. And the best number I can come up with, Vaughn, and, and maybe you can help me with this, I came up with 3 million. So if 3 million were citizens in, in the general area that Germany controlled, how did we come up with 6 million killed in the concentration camps by gas gas chambers? How does that work? Yeah, well, Am I wrong on this? You probably heard that, that uh, joke. Uh, at the height of their geographic reach, the Germans had 3 million Jews under their purview. Of that three million, six thousand died in, or six million died in the Holocaust, and that only left five million Jews to collect reparations after the war. Um, yeah, the six million. I mean, there's been a lot written on that six million dollar figure, and there's other people more expert than on that than myself. But uh, basically, that that number uh, came from uh, the uh, Nuremberg trials, where German officials at the camps were tortured and had their families threatened in order, you know, and they were threatened with having their genitals crushed and they were beaten and kept awake and so on, especially Hess, uh, the uh, prison camp uh, uh, commandant at Auschwitz. And uh, there's absolutely no independent, absolutely no independent corroboration that six million Jews died in the concentration camps. So, uh, you know, you have testimony from tortured and brutalized uh, German uh, officials, and only a handful at that, uh, who uh, who said, you know, under coercion that six million Jews died. Uh, the other thing too is, and there's a lot of literature on this. Uh, you know, I can encourage some of your readers to, to, to look up books about the six million figure. Uh, there's a long history of that number uh, of six million Jewish dead going back all the way before World War One uh, as, as justification for Zionism. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, my own view, uh, you know, the six million figure... I, I don't think it's accurate whatsoever. And we, we have yet to get anyone to provide actual mathematical evidence for that figure. Um, my own view is that it was probably, I mean, the most conservative uh, number of, Jew, of deaths would be around 300, 350,000 deaths at the camps, virtually all of whom died from typhus or from starvation as a result of the famine in Germany during the last year and a half of the war. So, uh, yeah, to speak to your point again, we have absolutely no, in fact, I, I've emailed Yad Vashem and I've asked them, can you please do the math for me? Show me the numbers and the supporting uh, uh, evidence for the $6 million or $6 million Jewish death figure. Nothing, no Nothing. response. So, so it's a marketing tool uh, for the West. I, I that's how I see it. I see it as a marketing uh, ploy by the by the Zionist, as you call them, the big Zionists, so to speak, 
um, to 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 sell this idea, you know, of, of look, we're the hugest victims in the world history, and, and this is the reason why we're acting out the way we are and taking over the world, right? Exactly. No, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, I said this on a radio program in WBAI in the year 2000. I, I said, uh, uh, you know, the Zionist group, the big Zionist, is the most successful small group in world history. For just a small number of people, it's really not that big. True. Um, that they've been able to hijack the the corridors of power. And boy, did I get yelled at by American Zionist Jews, screaming at me, calling me this, calling me that. And I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not putting them down. I'm saying, what an amazing group of people that they were able to do this. So I'm just saying the facts that this is a very small group of people and they control the media. They control the Western exactly. media. They yeah, came up with exactly. $6, million num- $6 million numbers that don't exist and people bought it. Um, I'm not... I want to make it perfectly clear. One death is unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And 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 here I am, a, a Palestinian-American. My mom is from Palestine. And my mom told me the story. She said, when back in Palestine in the 1930s, when she was a little girl, her next-door neighbor was Jewish. Her next-door neighbor was Muslim, and she's Christian. And they all played outside, and they were all best friends. This is not about hating people. This is about telling the truth, about the reality of it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I hope you feel me when I say one death, one Jewish death, one anybody's death is not acceptable. I'm a humanist. I'm not a I'm not an anti-Jewish person. Or I'm not a Holocaust denier. I'm a I'm a truther asking questions, going, what's what's going on with this? There we can't find six million numbers. why are you telling me six million numbers? Give me the facts, give me the evidence. You don't have evidence, say that. Say we don't have evidence. It's just speculation. Say speculation. You can say that, you know. What do you say? What say you, Vaughn? Well, a couple of things I want to mention here. I did write a book, uh, a booklet, actually. It's about 60 pages. And the title of it was The Jewish Holocaust is the Greatest Fraud of the 20th Century Bar None. And that's true. It is the greatest fraud. And then uh, something I do want to mention uh, I've got some quotes here from, from various Zionists, which I think is worth worth mentioning, and I'll just mention three of them. First okay. of all, there's Theodor Herzl, the founder of uh, Zionism, and Jews his that, right? statement before the war, it is essential that the suffering of Jews becomes worse. This will assist us in re- the realization of our plans. I have an excellent idea. I shall induce anti-Semites to liquidate Jewish wealth. The anti-Semites will assist us thereby in that they will strengthen the persecution and oppression of Jews. The anti-Semites shall be our Zionist best friend. And then let me mention a couple of other quick quotes here. Uh, David Ben-Gurion, the founder, the first... uh, Uh, Prime Minister of Israel was quoted as saying, if I could save all the Jewish children of Germany by bringing them to to England, so if I could save all the Jewish children by bringing them to England or only half to Israel, I would choose the second. In other words, he would countenance the deaths of half half of a group of Jewish children if they would settle in... uh, in uh, Palestine. And then one last question. I mean, I've got more quotes, but let me just mention one last uh, quote here. Um, let's see here. 
And this is by Yitzhak Grunbaum, who signed the Israeli Declaration of Independence. Uh, Yitzhak said, I think it is necessary to state here, Zionism is above everything. I will not demand that the Jewish agency allocate a sum of 300,000 or 100,000 pounds sterling to help Jewish European Jewry. And I think that whoever demands such things is performing an anti-Zionist act. In other words, any kind of help from his committee uh, uh, to help Jews uh, in the concentration camps was forbidden. He actively, along with Rabbi Stephen Wise, actively uh, interfered with any support being given to Jews in the concentration camps, and many Jews did were able to receive um, care packages. But uh, Rabbi Wise and Yitzhak Green, Grunbaum ordered that no aid be given to Jews in the concentration camps. So I think that's an important fact to keep in mind. And um, one other last bit of information, the, America, or the International Red Cross had commissioned three ships to bring aid to people in the concentration camps in uh, the German territories. And um, basically, those three ships, and I'm trying to get the name for them here. Okay, the three uh, uh, Red Cross ships, the Padua, the Embla, and the Christiana, which were all designated as support ships for supplying aid to concentration camps, uh, all three of those ships were bombed by Allied aircraft and sunk, even though they were clearly marked as Red Cross ships. So, And those were American and British bombers. They sank three ships, clearly marked as Red Cross ships, whose mission was to supply food and medical aid to people within the concentration camps. So that's another thing that uh, needs to be emphasized. The Allies did all they could to actively hinder aid going to people in the concentration camps, you know, Gentiles or Jews. So I, I, I wanted to emphasize that as well. And we could say, you know, FDR, the President of the United States, turned back the, the ships that were carrying Jewish immigrants. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. Uh, his uh, Secretary of State, or I'm not sure, Hall was his name. Uh, there's the famous ship, and I forgot the name of the ship here. Uh, I think it was the uh, St. Louis. Uh, it, came to, it, it came to the U.S. to dock to, to unload Jewish refugees from Nazi Germany, but it was turned aside. And the message being sent is that you know, Jews are not going to be able to find sanctuary in the United States. Now, a couple of things about FDR that's important to mention. First of all, before FDR became president, he was the governor of New York State. And obviously, the Jewish community has very powerful influence in that state. And I remember I gave a talk once on the Holocaust at a library. And uh, one of the Jewish, because I asked, you know, uh, asked if there were Jews attending my lecture, uh, one of the Jewish women said, 
oh yeah, you know, FDR was anti-Semitic, uh, and he didn't, you know, and he didn't help the Jews at all. And the fact of the matter is, uh, FDR's anti-Semitism was a cloak for his pro-Zionism, because uh, FDR wa also wanted Jews to go to Palestine. He didn't want them to come to the United States. So he presented himself, in a certain sense, as anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic, if you want to call it that. But the I fact of the matter is, his real purpose for doing that, his deeper purpose, was that he was pro-Zionist. And his advisors uh, encouraged him, especially Stephen Wise, to do what he could to prohibit Jews from Europe settling in the United States. So, yeah, so to, to dismiss FDR as an anti-Semite, it, it's just too easy and it's not accurate. Gotcha. Yvonne, I have a question for you. Why are you, as an individual, so passionate on this issue? Obviously, you're very passionate. What's what's driving you? Where, do, where does that come from? Well, part of it, a good part of it comes from my background in philosophy because I'm, I'm attracted to forbidden ideas and why are they forbidden? So, you know, if somebody tells me that this is true and you can't question it, you know, I want to question it. I want to ask, well, why, why is that? You know, when I first, you know, when I was a young person, you know, I had, you know, I, you know, if somebody criticized Jews or Israel, I had a natural Pavlovian, you know, antipathy for that person. But over time, you know, I began to look more and more into the Holocaust and I began to realize, wait, there's some, there's some real problems with the, the epistemology of uh, the Holocaust. And then what really got me going is how the American media misrepresents uh, the suffering of the Palestinians in the occupied territories. You know, it's barbaric. It's worse than, than what the Nazis did. Because like I said, the Nazis were trying to save Jewish lives in the camps. They wanted them to be, you know, workers, and they didn't want to kill them. They wanted to transfer them outside of Germany proper. Uh, according to the Wansei Protocol, they wanted to resettle them in the Soviet Union, or, you know, hopefully a conquered Soviet Union. But, uh, yeah, the, what really got me going is, you know, the the absolute barbarism the the Israel the Israeli military and public countenances when it comes to the abuse and butchery and Holocaust of Palestinians in the occupied territories yeah it, that that's what got me so passionate and the other thing too is you know I get more passionate because I realize how ignorant the American public is and 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 a lot of the public is about this issue. And that just kind of makes me sometimes more strident because it's so obviously wrong, so transparently wrong what the Israeli Defense Forces are doing in Palestine. And to have people countenance that or just not not care here in the U.S., it's just, it, it gets my goat, so to speak. It just... It makes I've come to the conclusion, Vaughn, that uh, this word ignorance uh, for the American public, they're, they're stupid, so to speak. I've come to the conclusion that not really. What's really happening is the media is so strong. The average Joe 
he works. He's a he's a plumber. He goes to work at eight in the morning, comes back at five o'clock at night. He does his thing. Maybe his wife's working two jobs. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. And maybe maybe they got thirty minutes to to look at the news or something. And and if they turn on the wrong media, boom, they're hearing whatever that media wants to tell them. And the the American media is so strong about this issue that they don't know if it's true or not. So they just go, it's true. And over decades and decades of it, it becomes truth. You know, I think a great common once a conman once said, uh, the bigger the lie, the better. Or if you keep saying it often enough, it becomes true. Exactly. Um, so Americans, they, they don't have the truth, but they believe it's the truth. And that's what we say, oh, they're stupid and ignorant. And maybe they are. Um, but it's because our leaders, our, our leadership, our mainstream media is lying to them and they're believing it and they have trust for them. And that's all they can do is they have time to trust them. That's it. What say you about that, Vaughn? I agree with you 100%. I mean, in, uh, you know, I, I recall reading an article a while ago, and this was a dated article. It was maybe written 10 years ago. But at the time, uh, nine, over 90% of the major U.S. media, television, uh, radio, newspapers, etc., were either run by Jewish CEOs or, yeah, chief executive officers or held by majority Jewish shareholders. So, yeah, and, I, and to be honest, I think that's the, the biggest threat to American national security. The biggest threat to American national security is overwhelming Jewish control of the media because they can set the tone that our politicians dance to. So, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's a, very, a very big problem. And, um, you know, I just – you're right. I mean, the public, you know, to a degree they, they can be forgiven for – you know, for for not being aware of the uh, the pro Jewish, pro Israel messaging that comes through on the media, but the other point I want to mention in the U.S. we have a Jewish moral vocabulary. Uh, you know, vocabularies differ from country to country, but in the U.S. and in Europe we have a Jewish moral vocabulary. And what I mean by that is that the worst you can label someone would be a racist, a Hitler, a Nazi, a Holocaust denier, etc. And, um, you know, so, you know, if you want to criticize someone in the U.S. to a superlative degree, you're, you almost have to use a Jewish vocabulary to do that. And one other quote that I'd like to mention a lot regarding the Jewish moral vocabulary that's been inculcated into the American public is a quote by the Jewish uh, writer Karl Marx. And one of his more trenchant observations is, the ruling ideas are the ideas of the ruling class. You know, and that's no more true than here in the U.S. The ruling class in the U.S. is Jewish. Over 50% of the billionaires in the United States are Jewish, even though they're less than 2% of the population. And they basically call the moral tone to the American public. So, uh, you know, we, you know, we got an uphill battle and things are only getting worse. You know, in Congress, they're constantly trying to uh, censor people who want to raise legitimate questions about the Holocaust or about Jewish influence in the U.S. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wish I was more optimistic. 
Let me ask you another question, Vaughn. We're going to be labeled for asking the question uh, about the Holocaust, what really happened. Uh, we're going to be labeled uh, Holocaust deniers, anti-Semites, anti-Jewish, blah, blah, of blah, course, blah, blah. Of course, of course. What, what, how do you deal with that nonsense uh, of being labeled those kind of things? Well, I can't control what other people label me. What I do try to emphasize, you know, I don't agree with the label Holocaust denier. I call myself a Holocaust truther. And whenever I, you know, uh, send an essay off or am, am confronted with that, you know, I, I refuse to accept that label and, um, you know, just try to redefine the Jewish vocabulary to a, a, a less uh, parochial vocabulary and define myself in spite of what they try to label me. And that's, that's pretty much the best we can do. You know, I, you know, besides getting on programs such as yours and trying to get the word out. And again, I want to emphasize we're doing the Jewish community a big favor by helping them come to understand what happened to them, to the, to the, their community during the Holocaust. Yeah. The and, European citizens of Germany and Czechoslovakia and, and, and Poland, uh, you know, deserve uh, a truth about, what actually happened in those days? Don't you? Yeah, don't and you agree with the that? Nazis as well? You know, we owe it yeah. to the Nazis to have an honest account of what they were doing as well. So, yes. uh, and, yeah, but, you know, yeah. They say that history is written by the the winners, right? I mean, it that's is. kind of what yeah. happened. It's, very it's, true. Very true. Yeah, and we're all we're trying to do is kind of move the ball a little bit and say, let let's take a look at both sides. You know, exactly. At a minimum, please engage us in in debate and. I'm a firm believer that the stronger argument will always defeat the weaker argument. So let's have that debate and see which argument is stronger. And I'd well, really I invite the ADL to come to come talk to us. They never want to talk to us. So, you know, they just don't. You, you're going to label me anti-Semite? Come on my show and t- tell to my face. I want to hear about that because you got something to say about me being anti-Semite. I got something to say about you being an anti-Semite. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, not only that, um, anti-Gentile. You know, we yeah. have the phrase anti-Semitism. Why don't we have the phrase anti-Gentilism? You know, you know that. Uh, you know, that's obviously, you know, fundamental to the Jewish religious ideology, if you can even call it religious. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we should also have a phrase, uh, you know, anti-Gentilism. And one thing I hope to do in the near future is create a website entitled. Uh, Gentile Anti-Defamation League and collect information <laughs> collect information from different people who have experience of anti-Gentilism. So uh, anyway, that's that's uh, something I, I hope to do soon, but it's still in the works. Gotcha. Well, we can only do so much. We're only one person, right? But we need all everybody out there to ask the, the tough questions. What really happened during the Holocaust? And I, I want to say to our viewers out there, I am pro-Jewish, I am pro-Christian, I am pro-Muslim, I am pro-people. If you want to have faith in something and believe in a faith, go rock it, rock with it. That's my position on that. As long as you don't shoot other people, you know, if you if you if your if your religion is telling you to kill everybody else, I'm not into it. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. You know, but if you want to believe in something, Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism, it's all good. You know, I mean, we're all trying to answer the question. You know, why are we here? Uh, what's this world about? What, what, where are we in the universe? And we all come up with different answers sometimes, different religions to, to help us explain it. But killing our fellow man, whether he's Jewish, Christian, or Muslim, because he's a Palestinian or he's a European Jew 
or, or anybody. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. And so that's all we're saying. That's all I'm saying, Vaughn. What say you about that? Well, that's a good point. And one thing that's important to emphasize is the traditional Jewish ethic is eye for an eye justice. Not turn the other cheek, but eye for an eye justice. And, you know, if you read the Old Testament or the Torah, you know, you'll find scores of examples where Israelites... They don't just defeat their enemies, they genocide their enemies, the Amorites and what have you. And, you know, also to go back to the so-called Jewish religion, because I don't even know if it's a religion as much as a Freemasonic organization. Um, you know, their, their most holy day of the year is Yom Kippur. And at Yom Kippur, they uh, pray the, the Kol Nidra, K-O-L, next word, Nidra, N-I-D-R-E. And I would encourage your listeners or viewers to look that up. Basically, the Kol Nidra is a prayer which, absol which is done on Yom Kippur, which absolves the Jews who, who pronounce that to be absolved from any uh, promises or agreements or anything that they make in the upcoming year. So they make a promise in their synagogues that in essence they can lie and cheat and steal and not be held accountable for it because they have they disavow all of their vows on Yom Kippur for the upcoming year. And you know why does I mean why does why does a so-called religion have that? I mean you know, and they still do that. That's still practiced today. So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at Judaism as a quasi-conspiratorial, uh, mutual promotion, uh, either covertly or overtly, uh, society. You know, it, it, it's more akin to Freemasonry than it is to any kind of religion that I'm familiar with. And that's why Jews okay. are so prominent not only in government, but in finance, because it's not because they're smarter than the Gentile population. It's because of their uh, rock hard, you know, ethnocentric solidarity and their practice of covertly and overtly mutually promoting one another within a bureaucracy or an organization until they have control of that organization. So, yeah, I'm glad you were able to bring that up so I could mention that because, again, I think a lot of people think, you know, Jews are where they are in society and in politics and in economics because they're smarter than everyone else. Well, not really. On a side note, on a side note I want to tell you this, Vaughn. You might, might not know this one. Uh, I'm in Mexico, and here in Mexico, we the mayor of Mexico City, uh, Me Mexico is a predominantly Christian or Catholic country, right? I mean, yes. 99%, I think, something like that, some number. Um, the mayor of Mexico City is Jewish. I don't know if you know that. And she's currently running for the presidency of Mexico and looks to be in the lead for the next election. So I, now I want to make it clear there's no evidence that I can come up with that she's a Zionist yet. But it, it's worth a look at to see, you know, why is this happening uh, in a you know 99% country that is predominantly Catholic? Why are we having a Jewish person, not anti-Jewish, but I'm just of saying it's, it's a question. Why are these people in the corridors of power? That's, that's what I want to look at really. And because you mentioned that they're in, they're in high finance, they're in Hollywood. 
I, I love Steven Spielberg movies. I mean, they're fantastic. I like the, is it E.T. or whatever? All that's good, fun stuff. Um, but, you know, they are d definitely, it's it's a very few, the population is what, 35 million around the world? Is that what it is? I Something think it is. like that. Yeah, with 8 billion of us, but yet they're in always in positions of power. Wherever there's power, they're kind of hanging out, right? Exactly. It's a, it's a great question, probably for our next podcast, don't you think? Oh, I would agree. Yeah, we need we need to bring these issues to the light of day, and hopefully, I wish, I wish Spielberg would come on our show and tell me why. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I very honest. much appreciate you tried to get somebody from the Anti Defamation League or the Jewish Defense League or Jewish Voice nope. for Peace. Yeah, I, I really wish you would have been able to get them on the air with us because there are some questions they need to address. So, right. uh, yeah, maybe but they won't know. talk to me, Vaughn. They won't talk to me, man. Yeah, I know. And they, there's a reason they won't talk to you. You know, I think there is profound insecurity among at least some members of the Jewish community. And better to just not talk than to be found to be, uh, uh, you know, unenlightened. So. Right. It would be a safe space for them. I mean, what I'm saying is they can come talk. I mean, I'm not anti-Jewish. I'm not anti-them as people. I'm asking honest questions. What about this? You know, that's all. And that's all you're doing today, Vaughn, is asking, what about the Holocaust? What about this? You know? No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, this topic, because it's so censored, for that reason, it should be talked about all the more. I mean, what's, no what kidding. interests are being served by shutting down conversation of the Holocaust, in particular the Jewish Holocaust? And obviously we can name a, a number, in particular the justification for the founding of a neo-colonialist Jewish state in Israel. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this topic sorely needs to be addressed, but good luck getting anyone on the major media to uh, discuss this with anyone. You, me, we'll keep anyone. trying, Vaughn. We'll keep trying. On that note, Vaughn, we're coming up on the hour now. Tell, tell our VT uh, readers and listeners out there uh, what's coming, uh, what's up and coming for you. How can they reach you? Where to find most of your work? Go ahead and explain that to us. Yeah, um, I do. I mean, if anybody wants to email me, I can give you my email address. Uh, it's my first name, Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-N underscore K-L at MSN.com. And I'd be happy to uh, email them my, my uh, essay, seven-page essay, on explaining how big Zionist Jews orchestrated the Holocaust and used little Jews as their pawns in founding a Jewish state. So I'd be very happy to email whoever wants to contact me with that. Uh, lately, I mean, I've written quite a bit about the Holocaust, a couple of small, a dialogue, a, a book, like I said, uh, you know, the Holocaust being the greatest fraud. Is your book on Amazon? Where, where do we find your book? Uh, actually, that book isn't, I, I do have a webpage, uh, booksbyvk.org. Uh, it's not, I don't have, you know, that... My other interest is in Shakespeare and okay. uh, in creative writing. So uh, I, you know, I have some information there on that web page, but I don't have my my major uh, uh, books and such there. But contact me, and I will be more than happy to send whoever is interested in uh, literature uh, supporting uh, the uh, claim that that Zionist Jews were behind the Holocaust. 
Fantastic. On that note, for all the listeners out there, um, don't forget uh, we have our new VT Cup out there. You can get it online on VT Radio. It's on our website at vtforeignpolicy.com. Uh, of course, please support our, our 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 situation here. We're not sp- sponsored by the by the mainstream media networks, obviously, in terms of advertising. So please go ahead and and, and go ahead and buymeacoffee.com. It's on our website. Join as a member for eight dollars a month, or make a one time donation and help us out here. I'd really appreciate it. Johnny, it's a big deal and a big difference. Yeah, Johnny. One last word. I just noticed this now, and I typed my name incorrectly, but on on my name here, it's Vaughn Klinberg. It yes, should be Klingenberg, K L I N G E N B E R G. I yes, typed it incorrectly. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Anyway, well, you probably need, you probably need a VT cup and some coffee, my friend. Well, there we go. All right, all right. Thank you very much, Johnny. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for ex- expressing your thesis today. And again, um, you know, you're a truther, not a denier. So everybody out there, seek the truth. Don't be afraid. Ask tough questions so you can make the tough decisions in life. All right, talk to you later. Thank you. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.